Jesus in verse 3 moves them away from that theology and says, nobody's sinning. Not this man, not his parents. Instead, God is going to do something pretty remarkable here. And then it goes through with one of my favorite healing stories in all of scriptures. And if the kids were in here, they probably would have loved this one because if you notice what Jesus did, he spits on the ground, makes mud, and rubs it on his eyes. And you can hear the kids say, oh! <laughs> and yet Jesus will use anything, won't he? Jesus will use anything to do his work of miracles and his healing. So, Jesus heals this man with the saliva. And then he goes back to the neighborhood. The man goes back. This man, born blind. That's all we know about him is a man born blind. So let's try to say he's a sinner. Jesus says, no, don't try to put that on him. So he goes back to the neighborhood. And the neighbors don't uh, recognize him. And then, did you notice, they try to put something else on him too. They say, he's a beggar. He can't be walking around just seeing everything. Because in their mind, they already had identified him as a certain thing. So they try to put another part of the story on him. He's a beggar. And the man tries to convince him, it's me. Everyone. It's me. And like, no, because that doesn't fit their framework. In their minds, he's a beggar. Maybe some of them also thought him or saw him as a sinner. And now he is someone who is healed and can see, and that doesn't fit their framework, and they can't quite believe it. And so now we go and move forward a little bit further to the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time. When the scriptures talk about the Jews, especially the Gospel of John, they really mean the religious authorities uh, at the time. And so they also see this man, and the religious authorities, they try to tell this man's narrative for him, and then, did you catch this, with the religious authorities, they also try to tell Jesus a story for him. And they begin to say, well, clearly Jesus is a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. He's a rule breaker. And so they try to get this man to uh, say this about Jesus. Tell us what Jesus did. And then they don't believe the man. They don't believe that this man was born blind. As this man is trying to tell a story, he's trying to say, I can see. And the authorities say, we don't believe you. Has this ever happened to someone before? Or someone, you try to make a claim for yourself. Maybe it's a woman who has been sexually assaulted. Maybe it's a person of color who has been abused by the police. They try to tell their story. The authorities say, we don't believe you. <coughs> this is what's happening here. This man who was born blind, this is now I can see. And the authorities say, we don't believe you. So they're adding to this man's story. They're calling him a liar. What a day this guy's had. <laughs> Called a sinner, a beggar, a liar. And then they try to get and have this man tell us something about Jesus. Tell us that he is a sinner too. They go to the man's parents and say, tell us he wasn't born blind. And the parents are so afraid of the authorities and they can't quite do it themselves. They say, he's old enough, ask him. So they go back to the man. And finally, this man has had enough. He has had enough of people trying to tell his story for him. This man who begins to for the first time, maybe, begins to find his voice. One of my favorite verses, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures, the religious authorities go to him and they say, give glory to God. And this is kind of like saying, swear on a stack of Bibles. 
Give glory to God. We know that Jesus is a sinner. And then the man refuses to let the authorities tell a story for him. And he says, I do not know whether he is a sinner. This is what I know. That though I was blind, now I see. Friends, that is one of the most powerful testimonies in all of the scriptures. And it's only a few words long. He says, I don't really know about Jesus. So did you notice what the man doesn't do? He has to go into a big Christological defense of who Jesus is. He doesn't get into a big academic debate. He doesn't do any of these things. He starts off by saying, I don't really know who Jesus is. And then, again, maybe for the first time in his life, he tells his story. This is what I know. I was blind, and now I see. And this is what sharing our stories is all about. It is claiming our stories for ourselves. And it is just speaking from the heart. It is also saying, I don't really know what's going on. It's saying, this is what I know about what impact that Jesus has had on my life. And there are two things for us I want to uh, remember today. One is, how do we begin to tell our stories? I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the first thing, too, is how do we listen to other people's stories? Now, when we begin to formulate our own faith stories and begin to think in our own minds, what would I say? Sometimes what happens when we do that is that we believe that our way of seeing Jesus is the only way to see Jesus. My worldview, my context, my own relationship with Jesus is the way that everybody sees Jesus, right? And we don't listen to other stories, too. And that is key to faith sharing and sharing and claiming our own stories is that we have to listen to other stories, too, even when they seemingly are different than our own, especially when they're different from our own. I would recommend to you, I finished a book um, I would highly recommend um, a few weeks ago um, called uh, Cross in the Lynchers. We have a cover of that book. James, if you can put this up by James Cone. And I would highly recommend the book. Uh, and in the book, one of the things that Cone does is he talks about W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, you may know uh, Du Bois perhaps one of the most prominent African-American voices in the uh, first half of the 20th century, uh, scholar, first African-American to get a PhD from Harvard, co-founder of the NAACP. Many scholars about Du Bois say that he's agnostic, but Cohn argues with that, and he says that he believes that actually Du Bois was a man of deep faith. And this is a quote that Cohn gives from the book. He said that Du Bois's faith was expressed in the conviction that evil does not have the last word, and that there is a spiritual force for right that cannot be crushed or defeated. Now, the reason I bring up Du Bois is that he would sometimes share his own story, his own faith story, in creative ways. So the magazine of the NAACP was called The Crisis. We have a cover of the December 1919 uh, cover, I think, is... There it is. 
And in this issue, Du Bois rewrites the gospel and tells it, I believe, out of his own story, out of how he, or out of his own relationship with Jesus. He calls it the gospel of Mary Brown. And he talks about Jesus as a black man named Joshua. Joshua works on a plantation, plowing, picking, and hoeing cotton. And whites become angry when Joshua preaches, using these perhaps familiar words by saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are they that mourn. And in the story, the whites become angry with Joshua. And they say, what do you mean talking about being brothers? What do you mean by talking about social equality? And through Du Bois's eyes, Joshua, as he lives his life, is not crucified, but instead something else happens to him. And so if you could uh, put up, this is an excerpt from the Gospel of Mary Brown, so you can read along as I read this. And so swiftly Joshua was sentenced for treason and inciting murder and insurrection. Quickly they hurried into the jail yard where they stripped him and spit upon him and smote him on the head and mocked and lynched him. And sitting down, they watched him die. They lynched him. And then Joshua's mother asks the questions, God, you ain't fair. You ain't fair, God. You didn't ought to do it. If you didn't want him black, you didn't have to make him black. If you didn't want him unhappy, why did you let him think? And you let them mock him and hurt him and lynch him. Why? Why did you do it, God? You see here, Du Bois is writing out of his context. He's reading about the stories that he's reading about the hundreds of African Americans who are being lynched. He has heard the cries from the mothers saying, God, you ain't fair, you ain't fair, God. The cries that we hear today from mothers who see their sons and daughters being lynched and shot. And Cohn says, these questions demanding God's explanation for black suffering sit at the nerve center of black religion in America, from the slave trade to the prison industrial complex. Now, when we hear a story like this, this is someone else's version of how they see their relationship with Jesus. It may set us back a bit lynched, and we flip through our Bibles. It doesn't say that Jesus was lynched here. Where does it say that Mary said, God, you ain't fair? I don't see this in the scriptures. And we might say, I'm just going to stick with my Jesus. I'm just going to stick with the stories that I know. And when we do that, when we don't listen to the other experiences that others have of Jesus and how they perceive the Jesus story, we miss out on so much. When we don't listen, I think that also affects how sometimes we aren't able to share our own story and find our own voice. Because that's important too. When we listen and when we see how someone else is sharing their story, that gives us the courage to be able to say, well, this is how I have experienced Jesus. I don't always have all the answers, but this is how I know him. And so one of the things that we've been doing in our most current, a starting point group that meets uh, after 
at worship on Sundays, folks who are newer to Urban Village and learning about Urban Village, we've had some really good conversations about faith sharing and evangelism. And uh, last week, Tim, uh, who I'm going to invite to come up now, uh, uh, where'd the mic go? Here it is. Thanks. Um, Tim was sharing some of his thoughts, uh, and I thought doing so in a pretty uh, profound way, and so I invited him to come up a little bit uh, and share uh, some of his own experiences, especially as we were talking about um, the courage that it takes to share our own experience, because I think sometimes when we think about faith sharing, we think that it's supposed to be a, a mathematical equation that we have to prove, or that it's some sort of legal brief that we have to defend. And we get afraid, like, I don't have all the answers in my head. That makes me nervous about sharing my faith. And so, uh, Tim, first I want to ask you, and some of the things that you've shared with me and with others too, uh, in your own life, what's made you hesitant uh, about sharing your own faith? Yeah, I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head right there. I feel like with so many situations in life, uh, somebody asks us to tell a story about Whatever the topic is, we're comfortable just telling the story. The story just exists, and they accept it or they don't. When it comes to evangelizing or telling a faith story, um, at, at least for me, I feel like uh, oftentimes we get to this point where we feel like we have to defend it, and then having to defend something that ultimately is somewhat indefensible from a logical standpoint ends up putting us in this very vulnerable position where the, the argument or defense ultimately ends up with like, oh, well, that's why I have faith, you know, which obviously can't be proven. So in situations like that, it's sometimes easier, I think, to, like you said, ask about the weather or ask about, <laughs> you know, yeah. something else. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your own story and about how when folks have asked you about your faith, uh, especially in your experiences of recovery, and what are ways that you have shared out of that? Yeah, well, I was thinking about a couple of things this week. Um, so I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I've been sober now for about 12 and a half years. Um, and as part of that journey, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of other addicts and alcoholics, or a lot of folks that are really thinking about making a decision to put down drinking and drugs. and. Uh, it's often like a very, it can be a very combative experience. Um, addicts aren't always in a great place right before they go to rehab or, or attempt recovery. And I found that, that there's so many times where, it, like, I can't argue with someone about it. I, I often can't even tell you how I've had this experience, how life is going to be uh, better because of it. All I can say is, like, this is how I used to be, this is what happened, and this is how I am now. And then just sort of leave it at that. So, you know, throw out the stakes of the story and then sort of how it concluded. And then that particular person can just take that and, and do what they want with it, connect their own dots. How have people responded when you've laid it out that way? Um, you know, in many different ways. You know, some folks, I mean, it's always been relatively positive in the sense that there's nothing for us to argue about um, because uh, I'm just laying it out there. Um, the results, I mean, the results are sort of dismal in recovery as it is. So, uh, but I think it does uh, maybe endear me to a person in a different way than it would otherwise if I was trying to sort of just um, convince someone of something. I think that's probably it. It's not about 
convincing anyone. It's simply sharing experience. Yeah. Have you been able to, uh, I know personally, sometimes maybe because of what I do for a living, uh, I still fight like wanting immediate results, uh, like either wanting to someone to come to church or telling my story. And if I don't see if like all of a sudden, like, because of what you said, I am now giving my life to Jesus. <laughs> and those don't happen very often. And so have you been able to just kind of leave it there and be able to uh, be at peace with that? Yeah, I have been. Um, I guess going back to like the whole, the whole idea of storytelling, I was thinking about something. So the way that, the way that fiction works um, is the, the writer and the reader enter into a contract in the beginning of the book. Um, it's an implied contract, but what the reader brings to it is uh, a term they call the suspension of disbelief. So I'm going to read a Harry Potter book. I understand that Harry Potter doesn't exist. I understand that there's not a train that he can take to a magical place. Uh, and I'm okay with that. some lots of consternation. It's <laughs> okay. going. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to suspend my disbelief long enough for you to tell your story. And I think that that's helpful in terms of uh, letting other people tell stories to us. You know, that there are times where we just have to suspend our disbelief at what they're saying, especially in some of the contexts that you brought up. Um, and I think that that's, that's very helpful, I think, to answer your question. Uh, also, you know, stories, they unfold. They don't happen in one scene. Yeah. Stories happen over the course of, you know, a couple hundred pages in a book. So it's unrealistic for us to think that we're going to have one conversation or one experience or one scene with someone, and then the book's going to be over. Yeah, we're going to do it at the end. They're going, to, you know, they're going to agree with us. Yeah, that's a great point because the two not only creating our story for all of us as we reflect on that, like today, June eighteenth, isn't the end. Uh, there is more coming still, and so maybe uh, that we may feel like I've got to have it all nailed down just right today, because tomorrow, who knows what will happen to change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Tim, uh, Tim is also a writer and uh, has uh, written his memoir, uh, and so uh, what, I can't remember, what's the uh, possible, where is it at as far as being published again, remind me? Well, it's currently with uh, four agents in New York, okay. where it's a it's a mind-numbingly slow process to get published, as you know, I'm sure you know to write. Um, but yeah, there's so there's some agents that are reviewing it, and we'll decide if ultimately it'll be published. But it's been a, it's been a great experience. I mean, I guess the last thing that I'll say about um, about storytelling is. It, and writing, I guess, is so. I'm a nonfiction writer. I write creative nonfiction, memoir, personal essay, and uh, oftentimes we talk about the fact that it's not about it's not about what happened. It's about what we make of what happened, mm-hmm. and I think that's also a good thing to think about when we tell other people's stories or when other people tell us stories. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in our faith stories, especially. It's not important, maybe, that uh, in, in some ways that I found faith. What's important is how that has affected the entire trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's far more compelling to talk about than maybe um, this was my conversion, right? You know, yeah. whatever. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, Tim. Can we have Tim a hand for coming up here?
great point, too, is that when we talk about sharing our story or giving testimony, whenever I ask somebody to give testimony, I think probably a majority of the time there's that fear uh, when they get that email from me saying, would you share your testimony? And part of the response is, I don't have anything to say. I don't have a very compelling story. Nothing has happened to me. So many people think I haven't had that lightning bolt happen because when we hear faith stories like that, we think that's the really exciting story. But it's also, as Tim noted, like, what do you make after what has happened to you? Some of you may have grown up in the church. And yet, what God has done in your life, I think, is the most important thing that you can claim for yourself. And the most important thing that you can tell. Friends, do not, do not let anyone else tell your story for you. Read this passage, powerful passage from John, and see again and again, people kept trying to tell this man's story for him, and he wouldn't let them. And he finally said, I don't really know this Jesus person <laughs> completely. All I know is I couldn't see, and now I can. What is your story? Claim it. Share it. Tell it. It's a love story. And it's one that the world needs to hear. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for creating each and every one of us here in this room today. So many different stories coming from all kinds or all walks of life. And we pray that not only you help us to claim our own stories, but give us the ears to hear where other people are coming from, too, because their story is unique and powerful and true. And our faith is enriched when we hear how you have been working in their lives, too. We give you thanks through Jesus the Christ. Amen.